Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. There's a common passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, a single verse. It's in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. If you've been in Christianity very long, you have heard this verse. If you've been in Christianity very long, you've probably used this verse. What we're going to do today is take this single verse and look at the possibilities of what this means and how it applies to us. Now, when we're studying God's Word, there's always the element of original intent. What did the writer mean? Who was he writing to, and what was he trying to convey to them? That's interesting to, to study that, but it's very elusive. We probably, most of the time, will never really know what he had in mind. And so the original tent is interesting. Sometimes it's somewhat discernible, but it's, it's not, it doesn't tell us everything about the passage because we believe that the author ultimately is God. And he speaks to us. So there was somebody who wrote to a particular people. But there's also God who writes to us. What does it say to us? My title of my sermon, for lack of anything more original, is How's Your Vision? Every one of us as Christians need vision. Now, I know that sounds like a, a, such a generic, ho-hum, so-what statement. But I want to develop this so that we can have a better appreciation as we leave this service today of how important it is for us to have a vision. I also want to deal with a few things like this. What is a vision? And you'll be surprised the answers to that. The, the, uh, uh, let me read the scripture verse before I go to the next questions on that. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. How many of you have heard that? Most of you? I only got like three hands. I'm thinking, who am I preaching to today? Where there is no vision, the people perish. Come on, how many of you have heard that? Yeah, okay, uh, you, you were just sleeping on me. Thank you very much. Where there is no vision the people perish. And of course, the other part of that you very rarely hear quoted from memories, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. What is a vision? That's important to know if we're going to understand this passage of Scripture. What does it mean that we perish if we don't have a vision? That's an important thing to understand about this. And why does having a vision preserve people? We should understand that as well. Now, if we rely solely on the King James Version rendering, probably the most common interpretation or application of this scripture, the one you probably have heard, when somebody stands without a vision, people perish, is this. That if we don't have a dream 
about things to come, if this church doesn't have a vision of what we can be, if you don't have a vision for your future, we're just going to dry up. How many of you heard that? That's been pretty common, hasn't it? So in the King James rendering of this, it's understandable why we, that would be our initial reaction to this verse. Where there's a vision, the people perish. Or where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So, let's get a vision. Amen. Let's go home. It's done. It's that easy, right? Except maybe that's not what it's saying. And I'm going to investigate three possibilities for this passage of Scripture. And one of them is the weakest interpretation, which is the first one I'm going to deal with. And then the other one is a, a remote possibility. And as a matter of fact, the second two are actually somewhat related. But let me kind of tip my hand so that you know where I'm going. I'd like you to have a road map of where I'm going today. The first one is... As I already mentioned, if we don't have a dream and a hope for the future, we're just going to wither and die. Most people will say, yeah, that makes sense. But the second interpretation of this comes to light as we look at other translations of this passage. You just go to the New King James. How many of you know what New King James is? They just tried to take out all the archaic these and thou and some of those words that we don't use a lot in our language today and make it a little easier to read while maintaining most of the original structure of the, of the translation. However, the New King James makes a significant change in this because they thought the Old King James didn't quite get it like it needed to be. So here's what New King James translation says where there is no revelation. Now, now, all of a sudden, when I'm talking revelation, we're thinking something significantly different than vision, aren't we? Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. And that's also significantly different from the concept of the people just perish. We're, we're going in a, in a different direction here. But happy is he who keeps the law. And the pivotal word vision now has been translated to mean those who don't have a revelation from God which most likely means just a basic understanding of the existence of God and our accountability to Him, that without that basic revelation of God, people go wild. How many of you here today know an atheist? We're not getting very good voting today. Is there really that few people that know atheists? One more time, let me try. I want to see a good hand. How many of you know an atheist? I thought there was a lot more. Because atheism is on the rise. There's a lot more people proclaiming to be atheists today than probably in the history of the United States. Now, I can't say in the history of all mankind. I would, not be quali- I would not be qualified to make that kind of an observation. But here in the United States, it seems like the number of believers, Christian believers, people professing Christianity, seems to be slipping. And the number of people who are either agnostics or atheists seems to be gaining a little bit. And it, there is one big major reason. Now, it's not the reason for everybody, but there's one major reason why people are atheists. And that is they simply have never been introduced to God. It's that simple. Now, I realize that there would be 
occasions where somebody may not accept their introduction to God, may have a lot of logical arguments about why they don't believe a God can exist. But for many of them, especially in the younger generation who are asked to put down their belief, back when I, and I, you know, I haven't been in school for a few years. But back when I went to school, they always wanted you to put down your religion. Did, did anybody go to a school like that? Do they still do that today? Can anybody tell me? When did they start, when did they stop doing that? I'm so out of touch. Do you remember when they, how many of you remember when they did that? Like a questionnaire to get acquainted with you at the beginning of the year or whatever it was. You always had to put down your religion. And you know what I always put down? I was so naive. I was so stupid. What's your religion? Pentecostal. <laughs> made, made sense to me. I didn't know what I was. And So if people are pressed about their belief system, there are more young people today who are making the proclamation, I am atheist. Not because they particularly have had a bad encounter with God, not because they're necessarily angry with some God that failed them along the way. They just never have been introduced to Jesus. And sometimes that's all it takes. Maybe a well-informed, skilled introduction to Jesus. But in some cases, some cases, all it's going to take is let me introduce you to somebody. Without a revelation, things happen. The old King James says people perish. The new King James says people, uh, they, they cast off restraint. The New Living Translation uh, says when people do not accept guidance. They run wild. Now, that one's rather unique compared to the other translations, isn't it? And the New Revised Standard Version says, where there is no prophecy, the people cast off restraint. New Century Version, where there is no word from God, and that's similar. Now we're getting to some similar translations. People are uncontrolled. And the message, which is not a translation, it's, it's just uh, a paraphrase. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. <laughs> I like that. I want to talk about vision today from a three-dimensional viewpoint. If you'll listen closely and grasp what I'm trying to say, I hope you can go today and think about what I've said today, this Sunday, through the week, and maybe on a regular basis, intervals, going back to saying, how is my vision? So here's the threefold aspect that I want to deal with vision today. They're the vision that is, speaks of hope that sustains us throughout our journey. That's the traditional one for our generation and, and maybe our, uh, uh, the past century. I don't know how far back this goes. But typically, we read that and we talk about you have to have hope. So let's deal with that one just a little bit. Then the second thing we'll deal with will be the revelation of things that come from our prayer closet, that revelation we get from God, and what happens if we don't have that revelation. And the third thing is receiving God's commands, his word. Now, these translations we have of this single verse cover all three of those things. Obviously, the writer of Proverbs did not have all three of those things in mind. He had something in mind. But I'm going to abandon trying to figure out exactly what he had in mind, and I'm going to deal with all three of these because they are viable. 
maybe that's not exactly one of these or two of these is not exactly what he meant. But if I, if I take the statement, am I doing injustice to truth? I don't think so. I think we can deal with the first one first since it's the most common one. Can we say without hope, without a dream, without that kind of a vision that we just kind of wither and die? And I can say unequivocally, I think yes. When we lose hope, we don't want to live anymore. It hasn't been many days since the news was dominated by the sudden and tra- tragic death of famous actor uh, Robin Williams, comedian, actor, famous personality, uh, due to suicide. And then the blogs lit up, the Internet lit up, of people talking about the subject of suicide. His his death, his suicide, brought this to the forefront of our discussion, national, worldwide discussion. It's a difficult subject to deal with by any stretch of the imagination. I do not like to have to think of being in the position of performing a funeral, over uh, seeing a funeral presiding over a funeral of anybody who may have committed suicide. You may have a loved one who has committed suicide, and it's a very tender subject for you. You may have considered committed suicide. You may have attempted to commit suicide. And just as I speak that, we grow strangely quiet and uneasy because it's not an easy thing to think about. But it all comes down to one thing. It's when you lose hope, you don't have reason to go on. Those who come to the point of ending their life don't see any hope for living any longer. Total absence of hope can drive us to do things that otherwise are unexplainable. Without hope, do people perish? They do. I don't know what it's like to live without hope. I know exactly what it feels like to live thinking maybe God has quit on me. You know, I've, I've been through those emotional cycles. Thinking maybe this one time in all of the history of God's existence, things just got away from him, and I am the unfortunate victim. Maybe. Silly stuff. But you ponder those things. And that's the edge of hopelessness. Where things are so bad in your life that you begin to concede and say, well, if there is a God, you become very skeptical. It doesn't appear as though either he cares or he hears or he's going to do anything about this if he does hear me. And it looks like I'm just going to live like this, and God's not going to change anything. And at that point, we begin to feel hopeless. But I don't know what it truly means to be hopeless. I only know what it means to pretend to be hopeless. Because no matter how bad things get, no matter what we have to bear as we walk this journey through life, there's always the balance That eternity changes everything. No matter how 
difficult life is there when you step over into the other side? What happened before you got here doesn't matter anymore. It's all wiped away. There is hope. If there is a God, if there's eternal life, there is hope. There's always hope. And so we're just going through a temporary situation. The difficulties that we endure are only temporary. And it's whenever the enemy convinces people that this is going to be forever. You're hurting, and you're never going to quit hurting. And if you go to heaven, you're going to hurt throughout eternity in heaven. But that's not true. You know that God's message is a message of redemption. And redeeming means changing the bad into something good. Redeeming. There's always hope. So I don't know how you've been impacted by suicide. Whether you've been close to it or close to those who have gone on and committed that act. Or even seriously sat down and thought, how much better this world would be without you. I want you to stop it because there is hope in Jesus Christ. And you never, ever as a Christian get to the point where there is no hope. You only think there is no hope. But God will always be there for you. In my family, it's unfortunate that we've had suicides on the rook side. I had a great uncle that committed suicide, and it always really spooked me, for better, uh, lack of a better word. It unnerved me. It scared me to think, as they told the story of my uncle who committed suicide. That was, that was overload from my little heart. I couldn't hardly process that. And it wasn't until just a few years ago that I have an aunt and uncle who revealed his suicide note. Now, talk about spooky. Reading that and seeing the despair and the hopelessness of a man that I never knew, but I know he's related to me. And reading as he's putting down his thoughts of there is no hope, there's no reason to go on, and you're just reading how sad that it came to an end like this. And then in my father's uh, uh, family... He had uh, four brothers. I think there were four boys, five boys perhaps, and I'm not going to stop and clarify right now. I've got to move on. And two girls. I think there were five boys and two girls. And two of my dad's brothers committed suicide. Both of them in hopeless, what they thought was hopeless situations. They didn't know any way to fix what was broken in their life. And I still, to this day, talk with my cousins, the sons of those men who took their life. And we talk openly and we discuss it. And you see the difficulty and the pain in them trying to process their own father. You know, dads are supposed to be the strength, the stalwart, the tower, always there, coming to a point where they just hang it up and say, I can't, I'm, I'm done. It's through it's hopeless. Without a vision, can we say that people perish? Yes, absolutely, we can say that. When the church loses its vision, the church dwindles. The second one I want to deal with is the, the sense in which this 
verse is translated as a revelation from God. Let's forget about all this, uh, this, this concept of uh, a future vision, uh, uh, a dream, a hope. And let's just lay that entire concept aside. And let's take a fresh approach to this. And that second one is where there's a revelation from God. And then we'll see what happens. Evidence of God's hand. He's still here. He's still leading. He's still guiding. And I, 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 want, I, I wonder, have you ever found yourself in that strange predicament where you wonder if you are still tracking with God? You, you ever gone so far and then just stop and said, God, if I could just hear from you and know that you still approve, then I would be happy to continue. But if I'm going down the wrong path and I tur- made a wrong turn somewhere and you're not with me, I'm in trouble right now. My wife and I went through some, some tremendous difficulties in our ministry in years past. But one particular uh, era in our life where things were going so bad for us, so difficult, that we had this conversation so many times. And my wife had always started off, did we miss God? Then I knew we were entering into this little conversation we had every few weeks. So here we are, we're licking our wounds, we're struggling, we're trying to figure out why things are so bad. And then, did we miss God? And then, of course, it was predictable what I would say next, because I get real defensive at that point. Okay, well, if we missed God, and we've only got two choices here. Either we did not miss God, and we're still on track with Him. Or... We missed God, and we're going to have to make some apologies and get back on track. It's that simple. Now let's figure out, did we miss him or did we not miss him? And then, of course, that, the ball has now been hit back in her court. Did we miss God? Well, if so, if not, what do you say? And then, of course, we always came to the same conclusion. Well, we don't have any evidence we've missed God. The road must just be that rough right here. But you need evidence sometimes. Am I still tracking with God? Am I making sense to anybody here this morning? Have you ever been there? Or am I just preaching to me and my wife? Have you ever been to the point where you said, God, I haven't heard from you in a while. Wouldn't it be nice just to hear you? Jesus heard from his father once in a while. And in a very practical sense, that was encouraging. When he first entered into the ministry, and he went down and got baptized of John, and there was this proclamation that God out of heaven basically said, you're doing real good, son. You're right on track. You're right where you ought to be. Of course, what he came is, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Oh, man, that'll keep you going for a long time, won't it? And then again, on the Mount of Transfiguration, And they're up there. And another uh, affirmation from God. We need those affirmations from God. How many of you like attaboys, attagirls? We need that from God from time to time. Or we need him to thump us on the head and say, get back where you belong. One of the two. But don't be silent. We can't stand silence from God. We can deal with correction. We can deal with affirmation. But we go crazy when we don't hear from him. And when we don't hear from him, where people 
do not hear from God, where people do not have a revelation from God, they begin to cast off restraint. Because if you think God's not paying any attention, when you think he's not watching you, when he's not reinforcing and affirming you, then you think he must not be watching anything I'm doing. I'll just step over the boundary a few times anyway. What does it matter? God doesn't walk beside me when I'm trying to serve him. God doesn't talk to me when I'm trying to do right. What does it matter? And then people go bonkers crazy. Without a revelation, they cast off restraint. So I think the second suggested interpretation, translation of this scripture is valid. I need to hear from God. Joshua was out there as he had taken his army close to the city of Jericho. And they were getting ready to attack. And he comes up on a figure of a man that is dressed in this army. And he's holding his sword. And Joshua, being the, uh, the military-minded man that he is, he said, I want to know, are you a friend or are you a foe? And the man says, I am the captain of the Lord's army. And you know, it's really good to know, just before you're getting ready to go up against this walled city, that they've got all the advantages, they've got all the strength, and all you've got a bunch is a bunch of willing men. That's all you've got. It's really good to know that you have met the captain of the Lord's army standing there saying, I'm here, I'm beside you, you can do this. We need that kind of affirmation. When Paul was taking his case before Caesar, he had appealed to Caesar. Ah, you shouldn't have done that. He said, we could have dropped this case right here, but now you've done it. Now you've got to go to Caesar. How many of you know there's a method to God's ways? And so Paul is headed to Rome. He's on a ship, and they meet with inclement weather. And here the ship is being tossed back and forth. How strong is Paul? Paul's faith is he wavering is he wondering maybe I should have settled the case back there on dry land did I make the right decision going to Rome am I ever going to make it to Rome will anybody ever remember who I am will they find any bodies when this is over I don't know what kind of doubts but he was human and he's wondering he has to be wondering the rest of the people on the ship were wondering until an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, take courage, you are going to go to Rome. So he gets up all excited, and he, and he, and he tells the, the, the crew on board, hey, good news, We're, I just got news from God, we're going to make it. <laughs> we need that, we need that. When my ship is tossed, when I don't know what the future's going to be, and a messenger from God comes down and says, you're not going to die. You're just going to feel like dying sometimes. But you're going to make it. You're going to get there. I have an appointment for you. Isn't it good to know God's got an appointment? And the devil can't wipe us out until God is done with us. Affirmation. We need that. The third way I want to deal with this is in the sense of the prophetic word of God, which it would be my opinion that that is probably the most logical application of this scripture. This is probably what the man was saying. This is the best translation of it. So as much as we love where there is no vision, the people perish, and we use that, and I won't, I won't deny you, it, it seems appropriate, but let, let's try to get down what uh, the translation, the best translation of this is. And we go back to the NLT. 
because it says it best. It's not the only one that says this, but it says it very concisely. When the people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Now, isn't it shocking, this verse that you've heard all your life, where there is no vision, the people perish, that suddenly we come to church today and we learn that really what the man was probably saying is where there is no divine guidance, chaos ensues. And that one makes sense too, doesn't it? All three of these make sense. They'll all preach, pick your point and go with it. But I, uh, let me ask this rhetorical question. Would you say that we're still one nation under God? I guess it's up for debate, isn't it? I grew up in a nation that proudly held forth the Holy Scriptures as the guiding light. From the very inception of our nation, the Scriptures have been unapologetically cited, unapologetically cited as the source of wisdom, comfort, strength, and moral guidance. Presidents have been known to quote, the Bible, and ask for God's guidance and blessings. In recent history, every president from Lyndon Johnson to George W. sought out Billy Graham as their spiritual advisor. They looked to spiritual counsel, godly counsel. Tell us, are we tracking with what would please God? Would this be a wise thing to do with your spiritual insight? Buildings and monuments were constructed in Washington, D.C., and scriptures along the way were inscribed on the workmanship. And many of you have been there, or you've just studied this, and you know this to be a fact. Moses and the Ten Commandments are found in numerous places. They're found in the rotunda of the Library of Congress. Moses is also depicted on the rear facade of the U.S. Supreme Court. All the daughter, at the Daughters of the American Revolution building, Proverbs twenty two twenty eight is quoted that says, Remove not the ancient landmarks which the fathers have set. Right there in Washington, D.C. Scripture, wisdom, truth. At the Department of the Interior, behind the corner walls, there is a time capsule containing the Bible. Moses and the Ten Commandments again inside the Supreme Court. The Korean Veterans Memorial, there are inscribed a cross and a star of David. Again, a statue of Moses holding the Ten Commandments in the main reading room of the Library of Congress. There are buildings, Bible quotes on the wall like this. The heavens declare the glory of God. And down the hallway in the main lobby, two Bibles are on display in the Washington Monument inscribed on the memorial blocks are scripture phrases like holiness to the Lord, Exodus 28, 26. The memory of the just is blessed, Proverbs 10, 7. And search the scriptures, John 5, 39. There, our government property, Washington, D.C., etched into the very construction of that place, the powerful, truthful words of God. In the Lincoln Memorial, we find the scripture passages, Woe to the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that the offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. And this passage, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, Psalms 19.9. And part of Martin Luther King's speech based on Isaiah 40, verses 4 through 5, in which he said, 
One day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low and the rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the flesh shall see it altogether. But these are just a few examples of a nation when a people once tuned their ear to God. And as we're dealing with this third translation, interpretation, application of this simple passage where there is no vision, the people perish. We are now looking at where there is no law, where people do not hear or heed the law. Then there is no restraint and people go wild and chaos ensues. And here in the 21st century, it comes as no surprise to you And it's stomach-wrenching and it's alarming to every one of us to watch in horror as the godless zealots are working tirelessly to scrub the Bible and prayer and scripture references from public display in our nation. Activists has had some success in forcing the military to ban Bibles in certain areas. Prayer's been all but eliminated from public school graduation speeches. And last week, of all things, in Dyer County High School, Tennessee, a girl was suspended from class because her friend sneezed, and she said, bless you. And the teacher said, we will not have that God talk in this classroom. Is that the nation you were born in? But that's what it's becoming. We're living in a day when the biggest influence in our nation, the biggest influences in our nation, whether it be the political influences, entertainment influences, the industry, the influences of industry, the influences of science, these biggest influences in our nation have no regard or value for God's Word. And I can't help But go to the scripture where the wisdom of Solomon said, when the people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Is it any coincidence that now that we are disregarding divine guidance, we don't want to hear what the Bible says? We don't want any scripture references. Is it any question, is it any mystery whatsoever that our nation is going stark raving mad? Without the Bible, where is the standard by which we define define something as simple as marriage? There is no standard. It's man-made without the Bible. Without the Bible, where is the standard by which we define simple things like fornication and adultery? Because those things don't apply In nature, not in the animal kingdom. Animals are not committing adultery. So if we don't have some divine authority telling us that we are are obligated to behave, conduct ourselves on a higher level than the animal kingdom, then the, the, the animal instincts rule, which is the way some people want our society to go today. Without the Bible, how does a society ever understand the corruptive nature of things like lust and covetousness and pride and selfishness? These things don't exist in the lower kingdom. They have no conscience. They have no soul. They have no values. And without God's word, people are just, 
they just create subjective rules and they change those rules whenever it suits them to change those rules. Our culture is quickly becoming a culture that has no regard for the Bible. Try to make your point to your family and your friends. Try to say this. But the Bible says, and see how quick you get shut down. Try to say, but the Bible says, watch their head explode. It's a really weird phenomenon. Because you believe what the Bible says is relevant. And they don't think it has any relevancy whatsoever. Without divine guidance, people run wild. And just a little variation of that under this third point. That is, without prophecy, people run wild. And prophecy means the proclamation of God's word. I am privileged to be used in prophecy in a sense that I am speaking forth God's word weekly. What a privilege it is. What an awesome responsibility it is to take the word and to prepare it and to preach truth every Sunday and not to vary from that. What an awesome responsibility. But just to preach it to a bunch of people that want to hear it is not what it's all about. I mean, I can reinforce you. I can encourage you. But what you have to do is help in taking truth from here and being a voice of truth out there. Because you can't just absorb and then leave here and keep it stifled. You have to take whatever the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, whatever he was revealed to you, and you have to take it to a lost and dying world. Because without the Word of God, without prophecy, without speaking forth the truth, this world's going to continue to run wild. If there's ever been a time and a place where we need the solid proclamation of God's Word, it's today and it's here in America. And yes, we need this preaching of the truth in the churches. But I'm telling you, the world's not beating a path to break down the doors of the churches to come in and hear it. It's going forth and making the proclamation. So are you prepared to speak the truth outside of these walls? You work with people that need to hear the truth. You need to look for the opportunity to share truth with them. They don't want to be beat over the head with your Bible. You know that. But they need to hear the truth. And especially our kids, they need to hear the truth. Because I promise you, hell has set up a program where they're going to hammer lies into their head every day that they live and everywhere they go. Whether it's coming from their entertainment, whether it's coming from their school, whether it's coming from their, their, their parents, the world is going to indoctrinate them in lies. What are we doing to instill truth? What are we doing to shine light in darkness? The nation's plunging into darkness. Where are the prophets that are going to speak forth God's word? You can be one of those prophets. You don't have to have a license to preach, to be a prophet of God's word. If we're to take this passage of Scripture we started off with, where there is no vision that people perish, and understand that what they're telling us is when people have no prophecy, no, no divine revelation, no divine guidance, they cast off restraint, they run wild, they go crazy, then 
something has been placed in our hands of great value. And that is to take the truth forward. And the beauty of that is, all you have to do is sow the seed. God's the one that gives the increase. All you have to do is sow. It's that simple. And when the truth has been sown, what does the truth do? And the truth shall set you free. I just don't think we have enough truth being sown in the darkness. There's never too much truth being sown. So I have a call to action because it would be meaningless to preach this and close. And you say, well, wasn't that nice? Nothing but rhetoric. We don't have an action plan. I'm challenging everyone in earshot. Commit yourself to standing solid for God's word, for his truth. Commit yourself to sharing God's word. Defending God's word before a godless generation that is attacking. God promised his word would not return unto him void. And our only duty is just to shine the light, just to spread the seeds. God, give us the strength. Give us the courage. Give us the passion to spread the truth among the people who are literally running crazy without it. You want to see a nation redeemed? Let's pray for a revival of a revelation of God in our land. You step up and be the prophet. Let's all be the voice of a prophet. Back in Moses' day, when there were a couple of men prophesying, and they went to Moses and said, oh, you should have heard that. How shameful. They stand out to prophesy. And Moses said, I would to God everyone was a prophet. What if every one of us carried the truth? Flipping the light on in a dark world. Bow your heads.